Thank you very much for that song. It was beautiful in words and also soothing in, in the melody, I think. Thank you very much. And I think it fits very well with what I want to share uh, with you this, this morning. Um, also want to encourage you if, you, if there's anything in you that finds interest in this topic about mental health to come uh, sign up for the colloquium on, on Friday. Uh, I'm looking forward to it myself, uh, presenting with my friend and colleague, Nestor Bruno. He's a pastor and a psychologist, uh, currently working uh, at Kettering Health, and he's, among other things, responsible for Ministry Care Line that you may be familiar with. It's something that offers services for pastors and pastors' families. Uh, so looking forward to to that. Um, I have taken some, some liberty this, this morning. I'm not specifically going to talk about mental health stigma. Uh, and I got the approval uh, to do to, to some, some freedom on, on that. Uh, what I want to share uh, is something that I think is, is very important and, and relevant and something that many of us are facing, uh, experiencing within us, uh, among others, and uh, maybe even we've been hurt and wounded by others uh, because of, of these issues. Um, and if I'm going to sum it up, um, it is pretty much, I think, the shame that we experience when we acknowledge and realize and feel that we are not enough. Not enough as we are and as we were created to be. Um, and I think this has been really, and I, with humility I say, I'm not formally theologically trained. Um, when I told my parents that I was coming here and uh, presenting at the chapel, my father said he would never have dared to stand up here in front of this audience. And here I stand without any formal training. Uh, so, so please bear with me. Uh, I hope it's not too much heresy in what I'm going to share with you. Um, but to me, this goes really to the core of really the great controversy and the big drama that we have been part of, we are part of, um, since things really started to go wrong in the hearts and in the minds of us as human beings. Shall I move this one away or? Is there sound? Okay. Okay, I'll try not to blow too much into the, the microphone. Um, since the invention uh, of the camera uh, in the mid-19th century, um, the camera has mostly been a thing we pointed outwards towards the world. Um, when we got the mobile phones with these front-facing cameras that we all have now, 
Since then, we have increasingly pointed the camera towards ourselves. Um, and we can say we very much live now in the age of the selfie. Um, in 2013, that feels that that's quite a while ago. Uh, but then, selfie, it was the word of the year, according to the Oxford dictionaries. Um, this year, estimates are that around the world, we as human beings, we are going to take around 1.4 trillion pictures. And that's sort of, we've been throwing around a lot of big numbers lately with the pandemic and politics, everything, trillion, that doesn't seem like a lot of money anymore. Uh, but a trillion is a lot. Um, that's basically 45,000 pictures being taken every single second in this world. Um, and the selfies, we don't just take them for ourselves, we share them. Uh, often we do it on some kind of social media platform. Uh, but before we share them, we edit them, we optimize them, uh, we maybe we put some nice filter on it, uh, and then we share it, and we try to look as good as possible. Uh, we are quite conscious about what kind of image do we present of ourselves to the world. The paradox of the selfie is this though, that according to research, 82% of us prefer to see normal pictures on social media rather than seeing selfies. Uh, selfies is often associated with self-centered narcissism and lack of authenticity. And I think if you are on social media, just I think things may come to your mind just by, by saying this, thinking back of what you have seen lately. We do not like narcissism and self-promotion when we see it in others. And based on these, the research that has been done on selfies, uh, some research has said that selfies should never have become as popular as they actually are. But still, they are quite popular. We continue to take them, uh, and we continue to share them. And it seems like these selfies, they appeal to some deep craving that is within us. Maybe this fascination or obsession with our image or the images of ourselves is nothing new. In Metamorphosis, book three, by the Roman poet Ovid, we encounter the story of Narcissus in Greek mythology. And I wish I could read the whole myth to you uh, because it is so rich in exploring human nature, how we relate to ourselves and how we relate to others. But I'll, I'll just give you an excerpt and 
recommend that you look it up, search for it, uh, the myth about Narcissus and Echo, uh, and, and read it. Uh, but here's an excerpt. Uh, one day, Narcissus, tired from hunting and the noon heat, finds a beautiful, peaceful, clean mirror-like spring. There he lays down. And then, I'm quoting, there as he stooped to quench his thirst, another thirst increased. While he is drinking, he beholds himself reflected in the mirrored pool and loves. Loves an imagined body which contains no substance, for he deems the mirrored shade a thing of life to love. He cannot move, for he so marvels at himself. This is a more than 2,000-year-old story. The myth about Narcissus, it reveals to us what I think is the problem of narcissism. It is a person who enchants others, typically, but ultimately deceives, despises, rejects, and hurts the one who love him or her. You find it all there in, in the myth. The person who cannot love someone else, but rather who seeks and loves the image of himself. The one who would be saved if he would just look up and away from his own image. But instead, and this is quoting, all that is lovely in himself he loves and in his witless way he wants himself. He loses his heart to this image of himself, but it is truly a wasted love. The image that he sees cannot love him back. And when he realizes that all is in vain, he also loses life. This is an ancient story. Uh, but I think this story is as relevant as ever um, to humankind as we live today. Because we don't only live in this age of selfies, uh, we also very much will live in the age of narcissism. And I think, sadly, the story of humankind very much is a story about narcissism. And the story of sin also, I think, is very much a story about narcissism. In the journal Psychodynamic Practice, uh, the group analytic psychotherapist Pat McDonald wrote in 2014, she said there, ever-increasing levels of greed, self-obsession, superficial relationships, Arrogance and vanity are everywhere apparent and not making us happier. Narcissistic traits involving vanity, arrogance, feeling special, lacking empathy, 
and having little regard for others are becoming increasingly common. And this is a secular academic journal that she writes this in. But to me, the, her words, they very much remind me of Paul's words to Tim Timothy, where he says, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. MacDonald, she continues in the same, same article, there may be serious disturbances in self-esteem which ensnare the individual just like Narcissus in the shallow world of self-obsession and grandiosity with no warm or loving relationships. Grandiosity is a defense against deep feelings of inferiority and is neither constant nor consistent, leaving the individual torn between thinking himself wonderful or worthless, oscillating between those two extremes. That's a characteristic of narcissism. The narcissist focuses excessively on his own image and how he is perceived by others, replicating the obsession of Narcissus with his reflection in the water. Individuals can create an identity which presents an unrealistic, glamorous portrait of the self, artificially boosting self-esteem. Artificially boosting self-esteem. Then what's, what's the cure, what's the recommendation that MacDonald here offers? She says, we live in difficult times and cannot step out of our culture, but there are ways of countering our narcissism. And she says, having compassion for oneself. And note, having compassion, not admiration but having compassion for one's self and recognizing how ordinary we really are make for a good start. Recognizing how ordinary we really are make for a good start. A few years ago, uh, our family was gathered for Christmas and my brother and I, we were in the kitchen uh, talking with uh, my niece, Dina, uh, then six years old, and we were asking her all these kind of silly questions that adults ask, uh, like, what do you want to become when you grow up? As if what she might become in the future was more important than what she already was. And upon asking her this, she 
got quite upset and annoyed this six-year-old girl, and she was clearly displeased with the question. And then she gave an answer that truly is one of the most mature, profound, and psychologically healthy things I've ever heard anyone say, and I often quote her whenever I can. Dina, six years old, said, I just want to be an ordinary person. What do you want to become when you grow up? I just want to become an ordinary person. An ordinary person, common, average, and normal. If only we could be content with that. By worldly standards, I don't know if Dina ever will become anything but ordinary. But to me, she's truly quite exceptional because she's one of the most relational, caring, and considerate persons I know. Now she's 13 years old. I just want to be an ordinary person. What if Lucifer in heaven would have said, I just want to be an ordinary angel? Or what if Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden had said, we just want to be ordinary people? If only the narcissist within each and every one of us would be able to surrender and reconcile with the beauty of just being an ordinary person. If we only could cease to create these grandiose inflated images of ourselves and obsess about our eyes. To me, the way I read the Bible, Lucifer, he's the prototype narcissist. And in this Isaiah chapter 14, verse 13 and 14, we read his words and just notice the language and the thinking behind it. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. This is the language and thinking of a narcissist. The I my and myself. The decline and the fall of the devil was his focus on the I. And I think the decline and fall of every human being since has been the I. And I think the decline and fall also of every community, every church, every institution, every organization, every society, nation, or empire has been the I, and that's become the focus. Ever since the fall of Satan, then the fall of mankind, 
the great misunderstanding has been what the essence of being in the likeness of God is. Humankind, we have bought into the devil's delusion of what it means to be in the likeness of God. Satan then man envied and desired God's greatness, his highness, his superiority. We crave to be exalted like God. But that, I believe, is not what it means to be in the likeness of God, to be in the image of God. The true likeness of God is being relational, being in partnership, being in fellowship, being in community. It is about the we, not the I. For the devil and for man, the fundamental temptation and the fundamental sin has ever and will always be exalting the I over the we. When we focus on the I, then we desire to rise above others. When we focus on the we, then we desire to be in relationship with others. Being one-off, not above, we may be content just being ordinary. In the creation story of Genesis 1, up until the creation of man, all the acts of creation are initiated by the words, let there be, or just let. Let there be light, let, there be, let the waters, let the earth bring forth, and so on. In these words, as I see it, God doesn't really reveal himself. But when it comes to the creation of man, the words of God change. As God is about to create man in his image, his words also reveal what the essence of God is. The world, words reveal what his image truly is. And I think God, he reveals here himself by saying, let us, in our image, in our likeness. To me, God is not about the I. God, his image, his likeness is truly about us about our God is about the we. The story of humankind, as I see it, is not the story of man being exalted about, above the rest of creation. To me, that is the story of the fall, of man seeking to be exalted even to the level of being like what he imagines God is. Our problem is truly that disconnected from God, we cannot tolerate the smallness of what we are. And therefore, I think we are driven to compensate by creating images of ourselves that are bigger than what we are. Narcissism I think it's all about the I, me, and my, as opposed to the we, us, and our. In that sense, I think narcissism is the antithesis to the image of the triune God. The image of God is the we. 
It is the reflection of the love, the benevolence, the harmony of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in relationship, in partnership, in fellowship, in community. The image of God is expressed in the creation of them, the male and the female, the couple, and beyond that, the community of mankind and the rest of creation. Ellen White, she says in the book Ministry of Healing, uh, or this is the version, Ministry of Health and Healing, page 105. Men and women have hardly begun to understand the true object of life. They are attracted by glitter and show. They are ambitious for worldly preeminence. To this, the true aims of life are sacrificed. Life's best things, simplicity, honesty, truthfulness, purity, integrity, cannot be bought or sold. They are as free to the ignorant as the educated, to the humble worker as to the honored statesman. For everyone, God has provided pleasure that may be enjoyed by rich and poor alike. The pleasure found in cultivating pureness of thought and unselfishness in action. The pleasure that comes from speaking sympathizing words and doing kindly deeds. From those who perform such service, the light of Christ, maybe we could say the image of God, shines to brighten lives darkened by many shadows. A self-centered life can never satisfy. Fame and fortune, any kind of church leadership position, or any kind of greatness according to human standards can never satisfy. God, he is other-centered, and we are created in his image. Therefore, only an other-centered life can truly satisfy. Being created in God's image, we are to reflect God to the rest of creation, his character, his love, his goodness, his benevolence, his care, his joy in relating. That, I believe, is what life is about, and that is the kind of life we should live. And I believe in those who live life like this, the image of God will be evident still today. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. Amen.